Well, good day to you all. <clears throat> I hope everyone is doing very well. Um, a black Corolla. Uh, there's going to be uh, propane delivered today, and someone has a black Corolla that's parked near the uh, where the access to the propane tank is. So if that person could move their vehicle uh, before the propane truck arrives. I don't know who that is. Nobody here? Must be some stranger. Oh, (laughs) you don't need to do it right now. But before, uh, if we hear the truck drive up, then you'll need to go. But as long as you do it before the propane truck arrives. I think that's a car. <laughs> yeah, I think you better do it now. <laughs> okay. Okay. We'll, we'll try not to say anything very interesting until you get Don't worry, we have a recorder. <laughs> okay, well, <clears throat> I'd like to hear a little feedback from uh, how you're doing and what questions you might have or any particular problems that anyone has uh, uh, encountered. Yes? If someone want to say anything no, then I should. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. This is just sharing and this insight. Could I say that or I have a question? Uh, if you have an insight to share, that would be fine. <laughs> okay, I appreciate it. <laughs> 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 He's like keeping laughing. I'm sorry. Um, today, after the interview, and, and I sit there and meditate again, I think this is the first time in my life I feel, really realize and feel that uh, my just like a body, it's different parts and put together. <laughs> okay, so I realized this entire organism is uh, a lot of use of words, your words, board directors, and they have a national meeting each time. <laughs> and and, and the coordinates, this organ, organism looks like a combination for all the things. So this is the first time I feel that. Mm-hmm. And after I feel that, and I realize that, you know, I have a strong self-identity that I don't know how to deal with. I still feel so strong. And suddenly, because this combination feeling, I suddenly feel like a, the, the self-identity reduced a lot, mm-hmm. at least for a certain degree. Because now, I don't know who I should grab. <laughs> <laughs> because all the body directors stay, I know. So, so I cannot, so I found the last, something mm-hmm. I can grab. And, and so, I feel like a very strange, very strange feeling. Mm-hmm. And I think more puzzled right now. Maybe I, I couldn't answer who am I mm-hmm. <laughs> in this moment. And I, I have a, even no idea. But however, I do experience tremendous relief mm-hmm. and, and, and freedom. I don't know that what comes from I just, mm-hmm. I just statement. state that the feeling. And even though it's more puzzle in the future, and I can need to investigate more, but, but suddenly that self-identity, I, I, I'm working hard, just reduce a lot. So yes. that's just the insight. That, that's wonderful. It's a very good insight. Yes, the more, uh, well, that, that attachment to the idea of self that we all have, and that creates us, uh, creates a lot of our problems. <clears throat> the more clearly we see the true nature of who and what we are, then uh, yeah, the less strongly we're attached to it. And 
So that's wonderful. That's a, that's a, a wonderful insight. So thank you for may I, May I add a little bit? Yes. I'm just the opposite mm-hmm. from Deborah. She's lost her identity. Uh-huh. I kind of understand who I am. Mm-hmm. I think yeah. when I come to yeah. here, I just share with you that uh, uh, when I'm back home, mm-hmm. I don't have a, a very clear that idea that I should uh, identify myself with what. But when I walk into this group, I started to have a clear identification that I'm a mom. I wanted to take care of everything. <laughs> so just the opposite, like Deborah. Uh. Well, in, in a way, it, it's not really, uh, because you see, you have this idea of who you are, and you, with, it, has, it involves a lot of attachment to that image, to that idea. So you walk into this group, and that attachment to the idea that your mom <laughs> makes you feel like you have to behave like a mom, like a mom in that particular way. But that, that's not really who you are. That's the, that's the concept of self. That, uh, that's one of many concepts of self that you have attachment to. Yes. Yeah. yes. So, and it's, it's, come to the, it's come to the forefront here. Yes. So, yes. Yeah. yes. so you both have in common that you are, in one way or another, discovering more about how this process of, uh, of attachment to the idea of self works. That's going on. Good. Thanks. Can I ask a question? When you realize that, were you in the meditation this stage? Or just when you're doing something and then you realize, or you are just doing meditation and this is the combination. <laughs> it's about the processing. Okay. I cannot say it's one meditate. It's the processing, and after I, I interview, has question and all the thing. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, teacher gave me some guide, just clarification and guidance. And I then I after that I sit there and meditate again. Okay. But this meditate is not the not the regular meditate. It's like a, okay, you know, so concentrate and breathing. I don't know, just something just come out and, and, and all the things, you know, come out and and, and then and little by little put that to, to, to the realization. I don't know, that's a good question. I, uh, is that, that that's the things usually realization come out? Uh, these, these kinds of insights, uh, you know, they... They, the moment that they that you really become aware of them can be while you're sitting, or it can be after you're sitting. Um, but that's the way it is. It's uh, you, you just keep observing, you keep observing, you keep observing, and then all of a sudden something comes clear. And all of a sudden the insight is there, and the understanding is there. Um, and of course, the, the you're, you're if if you're practicing properly, you're doing the work all of the time. When you're when you're sitting, you're more focused, and certain things become clear more easily. But you're also you're also noticing, you're also observing all the rest of the time, and so it's not always clear. And and it probably would uh, it, it wouldn't be that accurate to say, well, this insight is is the result of what happened while I was sitting, because. Uh, I, there's going to be some part of this that's the result of what you were observing when you were not sitting as well. But sitting is very important in terms of giving you that clarity and that focus for, for it to come, to fully come forth. So, Michael? Um, yesterday, uh, after the evening bell rang, mm-hmm. the very last bell rang, um, had a pretty good sit, and uh, the mind was more and more absorbed, and it was pretty. I think it's the best sit, so you know, thus far. Mm-hmm. But then um, I hear some chattering, mm-hmm. and, um, and and there's some aversion that came up, mm-hmm. and then and then 
I realized that uh, the aversion is self, you know, the, the discomfort is self-caught. Therefore, I let go of the cling and, mm -hmm. and the discomfort went away. But then, after I sit further, I heard more, more talking. Mm -hmm. So I said, you use this. <laughs> this side. Okay. And this side didn't work, so the irritation started to build up a little bit more. So I, I, I go, I, I, I did shh, and then, and then that worked for, I think, one minute. And afterwards, um, um, the, the chattering continued. And, um, and after a while, um, the chattering finally stopped and the people finally left. And I, I gradually felt, you know, wow, it's getting really cold in here. So I look around and I, I notice all the windows are, uh, many of the windows are open and the heaters are all turned off. And then the aversion just built up even more. It's like I bought into the storyline. You know, I, I, my mind fabricated the storyline. And then I bought into it and I believe there's a self there being uh, mistreated. <laughs> <laughs> and then, and then, um, and then, and then, so I finally gave up my meditation because I was pretty frustrated. Mm -hmm. I I went to bed feeling pretty unhappy, mm -hmm. and um, and I noticed the mind knows that the clean caused the un unhappiness. Mm -hmm. Notice the the identification of self causes the unhappiness, mm -hmm. and every time that's let go, the body feels a great deal of bliss. Mm -hmm. But the thing is, the mind has the habit of going back to form things again. So the whole night is like a yo-yo. You know, I feel great bliss, letting go, and then after a while, the mind, you know, goes right back to create, fabricate this the storyline and buy into the storyline, and it feels the tension. And then the mind realizes that again and let go, let's go, and feels a lot of bliss. So that went on for for quite some time. And in the process, of course, I tried to. Uh, practice, uh, you know, understanding and meta, mm -hmm. and uh, that naturally, and, and I do see that all the mistakes that are made are very understandable, and I have made the same mistakes in the past. Mm -hmm. And um, but the thing is, um, this distraction kind of carried forward even to the morning sit. You know, when my mind is calm, and then suddenly that that storyline will come up again, and then I have to. You know, just keep training the mind, keep training the mind. Right. Yeah. So, well, this, this is a very good illustration of how this, this process works. That, uh, I mean, the, the, the word letting go, letting go is so important. I mean, you know, that's what we're doing, we're grasping and clinging constantly to, uh, to what we want what we think we want, what we need, and the storylines that we make up around it. And uh, a very important aspect of this is the, is the experience of uh, ill will, of aversion, of negativity, of, of rejection, and how that keeps coming back and keeps coming back and keeps coming back. And of course, you know, you have to uh, you have to keep making the effort to let go of it, and every time you let go of it, it feels good, but it keeps coming back. And the nature of aversion and the ill will that comes from aversion is uh, it, it, it's, it's so powerful in terms of the story it tells, and it convinces you that you know this has to be there. It, it, you know that uh, uh, that the that the aversion and the ill will you feel is totally justified, that its existence is totally justified, that it's inescapable, that it's, it's the responsibility for it and the cause of it really lies out there with whatever happened. So cling to your view, believing yeah. that view is absolutely correct. That's right. Cause, cause a lot of suffering. Yes. And so uh, it's a great opportunity if you can get beyond that and see that this is actually coming from inside of you. But it's very difficult to do. It's very difficult to do. Especially with ill will. You know, you, some, some of the other hindrances that we experience, it's a lot easier to recognize that, oh yeah, this is, this is coming from inside me. But that uh, 
when when you've been uh, uh, when you have this idea get established in your mind, it will keep coming back over and over again. And one of the things we need to talk about is uh, the hindrances, and one of the hindrances is ill will. And I'm going to do that. I'm going to talk about that's going to be my main topic here. But before that. I just want to say a little bit about concerns about certain things that are happening in this retreat. Um, the last retreats that we did in this location had some of the same problems. It seems it seems very difficult to get people to really practice noble silence, you know, and. Uh, what I am used to at retreats is that that uh, except in the Dharma Hall when there's a, a, a talk like this going on, that you never hear a spoken word. It's it's so rare that you might go might go a month in retreat and never hear a word spoken. And um, here we have I have a lot of words the time and I'm concerned about the impact that that has on people you know like I hear I, I'm always hearing whispered conversations taking place outside or in the kitchen or in all these different places you know and I know that if I can hear them that other people can as well and so they're disturbing the quality of people's practice so I know that nobody intends to be disrespectful. <laughs> but uh, first thing, noble silence, whispering is not noble silence. <laughs> no matter how quietly you think you're speaking, you know, it, it's not noble silence. Okay? <laughs> It just, it is not. Not only that, when somebody is trying to meditate, sometimes a whisper can be more disturbing than a word that's spoken out loud. And I'm not saying you should speak out loud. (laughs) Okay? But, I mean, that's the nature of of our mind in terms of the, the experience of annoyance or disturbance that we have. Somebody whispering can be even more uh, uh, of a cause of that sort of negative emotion. So, and this, uh, so your meditation was disturbed by people talking, and you were practicing in the meditation hall? Uh, Inside meditation hall. Okay. Well, except when I'm sitting here, not meditating, I'd like to have the rule that no word passes anybody's lips within 50 feet of here, okay? At all. Absolutely zero, not a bit. Okay. How long, how far is 50 feet? 50 feet. Yeah. Well, however you, far you think 50 feet is, and if you're not sure, go a little further. <laughs> but especially, you see, it's really for your own benefit to keep silence, too. It's not just... It's not just for the sake of not disturbing other people, which it definitely is for that. But um, you are not going to get as much benefit from this retreat and from the time you've taken out of your life and the trouble you've gone to make arrangements so that you come and stay here all this time if you don't try to keep silence. So please understand that. But even more so... Please realize that that the impact that it has on other people and sound carries so much here, you know. So I, I do hear I do hear people, as I say, whispering, even when they're outside and I'm inside. And something about the house that we're in, it just carries all the way through the house. So even though you think you're in a little corner somewhere and you're talking to your friend very quietly, people are hearing it. Okay, so so please. Try to try to do better in that regard. So. Um, 
and 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 use and help each other by you know using this sign whenever whenever sometimes people forget so you can just remind them very gently without seeming to be uh, uh, too harsh by just put your hand up and, and until they notice and realize yeah is that possible we uh, we have a, a boy but we really need to uh, exchange information is is Somebody can write on the board. So. Um, yes, I, I think we did that last time, didn't we? We had some place that people could leave notes. Uh, that would be a very good idea because, you know. Um, I will put that in the, the entrance line. Okay, thank you. That, good suggestion, and that, that might make it easier. You know, I, and I, I understand how it happens. You have one simple thing that you want to communicate. And you say it to someone, but then they say something back. And I mean, it's like mind wandering, isn't it? You know, it all starts with just this one simple thing, <laughs> but before you know it, you've been going back and forth for five minutes. So, yeah. all right. Yeah. Um, so, would it be a good idea that uh, I pretend that nobody else is here, not even uh, my wife is here, and just go about my own practice? That's right. You, you should be make it as much as possible. As though each of us is here completely by ourselves. Okay. That's the goal. And yeah. we also we really need to conversation a little bit, and we can use uh, the pen and the paper. If it's absolutely essential to communicate something, yes, you can. You can use pen and paper. And and actually, there is one kind of situation that I, I know that some people. Uh, uh, I'll use terminology or words that they don't understand, you know. And so that's a, a really good way. If, if you need to ask somebody else what somebody means, you can just write the word on a piece of paper and show it to them, and maybe they can uh, make the appropriate characters in, in Chinese so that you know what the word means. So, yeah. Because they do understand the need to sometimes exchange information. I can't write that down if I don't understand that word. I don't know how to spell it. Oh, well, <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's, that's a challenge. <laughs> um, and has that been something that you needed to do very much to to get clarification on words? Um, not much. Uh, <laughs> um, Try to spell the pronunciation. Probably you can get some. Yeah, it, yes, probably, it can probably be deciphered, yeah, I think. So. Anyway, please please make the best effort you can. Yeah. Can I also say something? Uh, uh, try not to get up too early. I don't know if someone has a... Mm, yes. <coughs> but not just flushing with the with the with the cover down because mm-hmm. many, you know many people have to go to the bathroom in the middle of the night too. And if, if the if the seat is covered, you know, when the flush mm-hmm. lever is depressed, uh, usually makes like uh, half the sound. Yeah, how about uh, uh, before we wake up, if anybody needs to use the toilet in the middle of the night or very early morning, just leave it there, don't flush. Is that okay? <laughs> <laughs> Is that okay? And then we have, uh, we have understanding, so whoever first used that, just mm-hmm. flush for everybody. I would think that's a very good idea. I, I know some people might... Uh, not be used to that, but if you don't mind, that would be a very good solution. You know, if you if it if it's only urine, you know, in the toilet in the middle of the night, then you can leave it to flush it after the morning bell rings. Yeah, because when I uh, go to uh, our retreat center in San Jose, that's a very uh, serious retreat center. They they do put a sign there that uh, during certain time, mm-hmm. please do not flush the toilet. Yes. Right. Yeah, so how about we can we can do that so we can keep quiet because right. somebody really needed to go to use the bathroom. You know, yeah, you people know. do need to use the bathroom, but people also do need to sleep. So that seems to me a really good solution. <laughs>
you know, and if you are getting up early because you want to come and meditate, that's fine, but just be as quiet as you can, uh, remembering that we don't have, we don't have very good soundproofing in, in that house, and uh, everyone's wall touches somebody else's room, so. You can use this to record, I think. Well, that's the other thing, too, that, you know, if, you, if you're actually getting up in the morning and you're waking up and getting out of bed, you could always come and use this toilet, too. Yeah. I mean, if you're just getting up and going back to bed, I understand you don't want to go out to cold, but... Uh, but during meditation, China is this one. Yeah. The, the, the fan is quite hard. Yeah, well, we just not turn on the fan. Yeah, yeah, not, not to turn on the fan. Or maybe we just put a plastic uh, to cover just for me and don't have to... And the other thing you mentioned was that uh, you got cold in here because the windows were open? Uh, because uh, I think people thought I won't stay here for, for very long, so they just opened all the, they opened at least two of the windows closest to me, and they turned off all the heaters. So I got pretty cold and I look around and I was like, wow, the windows are all open, it's like... <laughs> yeah, uh, that I apologize. I opened that window because I feel like a lot of time we here meditate, we close everything. And so many people here breathing, okay? So I think night time, nobody here at least. Uh, the, the what about the last thing. person to be Yeah, because that. I didn't announce, so I just say, yeah. oh, okay, I, <laughs> I don't... So, yeah. so if, if people will want to stay here longer, would you please... When you leave last uh, one, just open the window at this L. Yes, yes, yeah, that makes sense. Yes, yes. 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 The last person can do the lights and the heaters and and the window. The window. Yes, yes. But nobody, nobody does it before the last person. Okay. Okay. <laughs> All right. Yeah, that'd be good. Yeah. All right. Anyway, let's talk about the uh, uh, the hindrances. What's called the five hindrances. Uh, and these are very, understanding these five hindrances is a very useful tool in uh, your meditation practice. Uh, they are hindrances to the uh, development of concentration, but as you'll quickly realize as we go over them, they are also hindrances to uh, everything in your daily life and they are hindrances to uh, enlightenment as well. So these five hindrances, uh, although we're going to speak of them primarily in terms of meditation, they have a universal ap application. So these five hindrances, what are they? They are uh, sloth and torpor is what uh, one of them is called. Uh, this hindrance, I often think of it more as uh, uh, resistance and uh, uh, resistance as in procrastination and just not wanting to do uh, and uh, uh, fatigue. The second hindrance is skeptical doubt. I'm giving them to you in the order in which they, they tend to have a predominant role in your meditation. Skeptical doubt. This is all of those doubtful feelings that can make it difficult for you to do the practice. And then is sense desire or worldly desire. This is all of your concern about the things of the world that uh, you're, you feel like, you normally feel like your happiness depends upon. And the fourth one is ill will or negative thoughts and emotions. And we had an example of the way once, once ill will is generated, thoughts related to that can Keep, they just keep coming back to the mind. They just keep coming back to the mind and disrupting. And then the final one of these is the agitation of the mind that comes from worry and remorse. Worry and? Remorse or regret. Remorse. Worry about things that, are, that haven't happened yet 
and remorse about things that you have done. So those five, in the order that I gave them to you then, were uh, sloth and torpor, skeptical doubt, worldly desire, ill will, and worry and remorse that agitate the mind. So one of the problems that we have when we begin to meditate is this uh, resistance to practicing. Uh, Some people might describe it as laziness. Uh, Some people might experience it as a tendency to procrastinate. And it can affect your ability to sit down and practice on a regular basis. You feel this resistance, you don't really want to meditate. So you come up with excuses, well, I'll do it after I do this, or I can't do it today because of this, uh, but I'll meditate a little longer tomorrow, or this sorts of thing. You know, The other form it takes is that it arises after you've sat down. You sit down and you know, you start to meditate and the mind starts to wander and uh, you don't really feel like meditating today. And um, so the thought that you're having, is, is, it's, a, it's an appealing one, it's an interesting one. Uh, so you, you sit there and you just let it, you, you just indulge yourself in thinking about things. Or daydreams. Or, you know, uh, another way it manifests is you... Look at the clock and you say, well, I've only got 10 minutes left. I don't really feel like meditating, so, um, okay. I'll, I'll sit for the rest of the 10 minutes, but I'll just kind of, you know, uh, sit here and daydream. <laughs> All kinds of things like that. But what, they, what it all comes down to is just there's some kind of inter, inner resistance to doing the practice, and so whatever the excuse-making or whatever else it is that uh, you do in response to that, it, it uh, stands in the way of you doing the practice. And if you have experienced this, don't think that you are unusual or uh, an unworthy person or lacking in some way. It's a very natural thing that comes up. Because when you first start to meditate, um, there is this, there is often a, a sense of disappointment that you're not getting the results that you want. And then there is the, the feeling that, uh, uh, the feelings of boredom and restlessness and all these other things that uh, make it difficult to practice. The way your mind is, too, um, if you if you sit down to practice and and you judge yourself and you say, Oh, I really didn't do very well today. Then the next time that you go to sit down to practice, you know, you have judged yourself and found yourself wanting in some way. You have found your, that you have judge yourself as having failed. And we naturally don't want to go and do those things again that we feel like we're not successful at. And that creates an internal kind of resistance. But this also comes from various kinds of misunderstandings. We think think that it is me, myself, that is responsible for the quality of my practice. And therefore, if my practice doesn't happen the way I hope it will, or expect it to, or want it to, that I have failed, and we blame ourselves. And you see, and that is all completely false, because what is going to happen when you sit down and meditate is exactly what will happen to anyone when they sit down and meditate. There will be some variations. For some it's a little easier, for some it's a little more difficult. But what happens is going to be exactly the same for everyone. Everyone is going to encounter the same problems of forgetting and mind-wandering. 
and everybody is going to encounter the same problems of um, agitation of the mind and scattering of attention. Everybody is going to encounter the same problems of dullness and sleepiness and drowsiness. And so it is absolutely no fault of yours that those come up in your meditation. And also, this is the hardest part to understand, because this sense of self that we have, this sense of I-ness, we feel like we're in control. We feel like this is my mind and I should have power over it. I should have control over it. And that's a lose-lose situation because you don't. You do not have control over your mind. And if you think you do, and then things don't turn out, you're either going to blame your mind, or you're going to blame yourself, whatever that is, that's separate from your mind. But people do this. They say, my mind, it's terrible. Uh, Okay. (laughs) Or... (laughs) Me, I just can't do this. Oh, all right. <laughs> those are those are wrong attitudes. But they're attitudes that create resistance and make it harder to, for us to, to practice. The fact is that you don't have control over your mind. You cannot prevent forgetting from happening, and you can't prevent mind wandering from happening. And you can't prevent agitation and distraction from happening. And you can't prevent dullness uh, and uh, uh, sleepiness from happening. You have no control over those things. Those things happen as a result of parts of your mind that there is absolutely no conscious, deliberate, volitional control over. But you can deal with them very, very effectively. Those parts of your mind, you can't control what they do, but you can train them. And that's what this is all about, is training them. You can train your mind in such a way that eventually it stops forgetting what you're doing. You can train the mind in such a way that it stops going on on these little trips of mind-wandering. You can train the mind in such a way that it it stops uh, being in states of agitation. And that's what this is all about. So the way to overcome uh, this is you have to develop trust and confidence and understanding and recognize that meditation is not something hard that you will develop resistance to doing because it's hard to do. It's a terribly, terribly easily easy thing to do. It's just so easy. All you have to do is stop doing everything else. All you have to do is sit down and then it's no more difficult than redirecting your attention. Of all of the different things that we might see our mind as or ourself as, The one thing that you have the most, that you actually do have the most control over in the moment is the direction of your attention. Think about that. The one thing you have most control over, intention, volition, will, has most control over, is the movement of your attention. Your attention admittedly will move without you wanting it to. But you can always move it back. You can't stop thoughts from coming, but you can always move the attention away from them. Yes? I know that it's useless to blame oneself, but there is a broad distribution of how people advance in the meditation path. It comes more easily to... So as, maybe not self, but as an individual, it's naturally you want to place yourself on that distribution. Right. Where you, so is that a worthwhile exercise to do? Or, I mean, to it's, a, it's a very risky exercise to do because when you start comparing yourself to other people, then you might start finding your... You, you either might start developing pride, in which case you're going to be disappointed later on. Uh, or... 
you find uh, you, you start finding yourself inadequate, which will create discouragement. Uh, the other thing about this training, somebody who has a great deal of difficulty in an early part of the training, once they've mastered it, might shoot way ahead of somebody else who didn't have too much trouble. Uh, just to explain this so that you understand, some people do find it naturally easier to concentrate than others. If we have two students, I have one here and one here, and this person naturally finds it easier to concentrate. This one, their mind is naturally more active and so concentration doesn't come as easily to them. But they come and they sit with me um, every day or every week for a few months. We're going to come to a point where this one, because they had to struggle in the beginning and because they persevered, has trained their mind and they have very strong, not natural concentration, they have very strong trained concentration. This person here, it came easy to them. And so they didn't have to do as much work. And so now, in a later stage of the process, this person is doing much better than that one because this one has done more training than that one. So it's risky to compare yourself with others and say, oh, uh, this person might be very proud of themselves you know, about how well they're doing their meditation until later on they come to the point where they've gone beyond the benefit that their natural ability gave them and they don't have the benefit of the work and they're now being surpassed by this one. So their pride then leads to their later downfall. And this other one here, if they compared themselves, they may say, well, I'm not good at this, I shouldn't even bother trying, and so they stop coming and they give up the practice. So that's the risk. Better to just accept that, that this is where I am, and this is what I have to do, and this is the task. And the task is simple, and you don't need to judge yourself. The task is just to, uh, and, and in terms of this first hindrance of resistance, uh, procrastination, laziness, whatever you want to call it, it's just to be diligent. It's just to indeed sit down every day, and indeed for the whole time until the bell rings. Doesn't matter how many times your mind wanders, when you recognize it, bring it back. That's all you have to do. It's so easy. It's so easy. And if your mind, if your mind, if, if you sat for 45 minutes and for 40 minutes your mind was somewhere else, if every time you recognized your mind was wandering, you brought it back, you've had a fantastic meditation and you are going to get the benefits of it. And that's all you need to know. That's all you need to do is say, I've taken this time, I sat down, and I did exactly what I was supposed to do. I was successful. That's the diligence. The diligence in doing the very, very simple thing. And it will pay off. In terms of uh, the, uh, the, the certain qualities uh, that develop as a result of meditation practice, and concentration practice culminates in uh, certain stages of concentration that are known as jhanas, or, or absorptions. And there are five factors that develop. They're called the five jhana factors. And these, are, these are present. When you have mastered concentration and you're able to practice the jhanas. And these jhana factors are directed and sustained attention. Um, they are uh, single-pointedness or unification of mind. That's the second one. Then the third one is uh, meditative joy. Uh, the uh, word in uh, Pali is, is piti. 
And then there is pleasure and happiness. The word in Pali is sukha for that. And then uh, my mind's going blank. What's, what is the, the fifth meditation factor? Is uh, see directed the system. <laughs> oh, oh, okay, sorry, sorry, that is, now there's four meditation factors, but we can look at them as five, just directed attention, directed and sustained attention is regarded as one uh, jhana factor, but it's actually two different things, so that makes five, directed and sustained, sustained attention, uh, single-pointedness, uh, uh, the meditative joy, and, and, and the pleasure. These are related to the five hindrances. And the one that's related to sloth and torpor, to the resistance, is directed attention. Okay? And the reason that we say that is what keeps you from developing direct... Directed attention means you direct your attention to the meditation object. So what keeps you from directing your attention? It's this resistance. So you're sitting in meditation and you have this feeling, I don't really want to do this. And you do something else instead. In other words, you don't direct your attention to the meditation object. So these two are in opposition. Directed attention and resistance. They overcome each other. So what is the solution to resistance? It's to direct the attention. Another way of putting this is if you're experiencing laziness or procrastination and resistance, the solution is just do it. Just do it. It's, you know, you find yourself uh, thinking about, I don't want to do this. Just do it. Just direct your attention to the meditation object. That's what's in direct opposition, and that will overcome it in the long run. Directed attention will overcome the resistance. Just doing it. Uh, in many senses of the word. If you, if you just sit down every day at the same time, it will become established as a habit and it will become easier and easier. If you just direct your attention to the meditation object, even, even though you may feel some desire to do something else and some resistance, if, as soon as you do so, and you must have experienced this, as soon as you go ahead and do it, it's actually easier than you thought it would be. It's actually not so difficult. The hardest thing is directing your attention to the meditation object when there is the desire not to do so. And once you've done it, it becomes easier immediately. Yes? Uh, does guarding the sense doors help with this regard? Because, like, for example, you know, we, we go home, we have a long days of work, and then... We, we, we want to reward ourselves with all kinds of senses, you know, senses, uh, sensual pleasures like eating, watching TV, listening to music, and etc. If, if we guard our sense, uh, our, our, guard our senses well, then, then, um, then we would have a better chance of being more diligent. Uh, well, yes, in that sense, guarding the senses, as I said last night, means being aware of the of the craving that arises as a result of the things that you experience, you know, and so if you practice, if you practice that kind of awareness, then uh, the competing desire to do these other kinds of things is not going to be as strong, and it'll be easier to do this. The other thing, the other part of this hindrance is called, you know, I say sloth and torpor, and you can see sloth uh, means something like laziness, resistance, procrastination, and so on and so forth. And that's what I've been talking about so far. But the other part of this, the torpor, uh, word you may or may not be familiar with, and I like to substitute fatigue for that. Uh, Tiredness, uh, heaviness. Uh, these two are related because if you're tired, it's much more difficult to make yourself meditate, right? So that's that's one of the ways in which they're connected. 
in order to be successful in meditation, you have to make sure that you meditate at times that you're not exhausted. If you get up at 5.30 every morning and you work all day and you say, well, I'm going to meditate at 11 o'clock at night before I go to bed, (laughs) you're going to have a problem. (laughs) Um, If you must follow that schedule, you would would do far better to get up uh, a few minutes early and meditate in the morning before you start your schedule, or to find some other part of the day where you haven't exhausted yourself already. But also, if you're serious about becoming a successful meditator, you need to make sure that your body is adequately rested. This means that you may need to look at your life and see what changes need to be made. Uh, No matter how much you enjoy uh, sitting up late, talking to your friends, you know, and then putting an extra loud alarm clock to help get you up in time to go to work, that may be something you have to get up, give up, if you want to be, if you're serious about being successful as a meditator. You will have to make certain adjustments in your life. And in terms of this particular hindrance, you'll need to make the adjustments that assure that when you do meditate, that you're not fighting against fatigue of the body and the mind. This means may, may also mean, I'm giving extreme examples, but in a more, you, you, you may lead a more uh, relaxed lifestyle than that, but if you are always tired at the end of the day when you get home, that may not be the best time of day for you to meditate. You may need to adjust your schedule so that you can meditate at a time when uh, you're not so tired. Uh, in other words, for, for many people, the answer uh, is, if you want to be serious about a regular meditation practice, at a time of day when you have the fewest distractions, it often means you get up earlier than you're used to. That's the one change that you make in your life. The reason for that is we're all most fresh and refreshed, uh, rested and refreshed uh, within the first couple of hours after getting up. It also plays a role in terms of distractions. During the day, we accumulate agitation of mind, and we have less accumulated agitation early on. Yes? Um, would you go all the way to... Uh, in, in a sense, if somebody doesn't have any financial concerns... Would you? Is it a just giving up your job, retirement? Is that something that you think would be good? Um, yes. If you don't have any financial concerns <coughs> and uh, you would like to become a successful meditator and to achieve enlightenment, by all means, give up your job, meditate. Five hours a day, go to retreats whenever you want to. Does that actually work? I mean, in the sense that maybe you can also practice, you know, by interacting with people at work. Yes. I'm just curious to see. Yeah. If you you don't need to give up your job. You don't need to give up your job. You don't need to retire, but you need to make your priorities clear, and you need to decide where meditation fits into your priorities. If it's number one, uh, you're going to make a lot of sacrifices in order to, uh, to fulfill that absolute number one priority. If it's second or third down the list, behind your job and behind your family, then, well, then that's where it is. Maybe when your family grows up, it'll move up in the priorities. Maybe when you make a lot of money or reach retirement age, it'll move up in the priorities. But wherever it is, you need to decide where it is. But then, make some, make whatever changes are necessary in your life so that you can, so that you can fulfill uh, that priority as it as it exists for you at this time in your life. And then you may change it later on. But even though. Your career and your family may come ahead of meditation. 
if meditation is indeed number three in the priority of your life, you need to make sure that you make the adjustments that keep it in front of all of the other things. And many very successful meditators are lay people with families and jobs. And they do things like get in the habit of getting up earlier so that they can meditate for an hour or an hour and a half before they have to go to work and before they start meeting their family responsibilities. And they may also uh, meditate at other times during the day. But it's a, it's a question of, of making the adjustments that you need to. You'll have, you, you probably have to give up something else. Most people don't come to meditation from a lifestyle in which every day for the last year I've always had an hour and a half free and I haven't had anything to do with it. I've been trying to find something to fill it. That just isn't where people are. They come to meditation and they're already busy from the time they get up to the time they go to bed. So they're going to have to give up something. They may have to give up watching CSI on television. Or, you know, something else will have to go to make room for it. But you need to make sure you're rested. You need to make sure that the meditation time that you select is one that's most conducive in terms of your own personal nature and your lifestyle and the other things that have to uh, be adapted to it. And then, beyond that, it's just a question of doing it. Of just doing it. To help you in judge, there's a lot of things you can do to help you in just in establishing the first stage in developing samatha, perfect concentration, is establishing a meditation practice. Meditating with somebody else can be very helpful because it it helps to make it happen. Um, But at the same time, there's a risk. You get in the habit of meditating with another person and then they get sick and so you quit meditating, that's not so good. Or, (laughs) you know... um, you have, you have to look after your own meditation or your own motivation, your own responsibility. Um, one thing that is very important is setting a particular time and, and consistently create a place for yourself to meditate, a comfortable place that meets your needs, create a time to meditate, and, uh, and then consistently do it. If you say, I'll meditate when I get around to it, you know what the answer is going to be. There's going to be a lot of times when you just don't get around to it. Especially if there is resistance, there's procrastination. It's like, you know, okay, I said I'm going to meditate at this time, but I think I'll wash the dishes first. Or I'll mow the lawn first. Or I'll, you know, wash the car. Or call my mother. Or... There's always, there's always something else that you can do. So, a certain amount of discipline that uh, we're just doing. How true. Hmm? Yeah, I said it's true. Yeah. Yes. Anyway, so that's the first hindrance called, usually called sloth and torpor. I call it resistance and fatigue, and those are the ways of overcoming it. And tomorrow we'll talk about skeptical doubt and as many of the other hindrances as we have a chance to get to. So thank you very much. Oh, you have one question for me? Uh,请帮你帮我帮你啊。我必须要忏悔跟Michael说道歉啊。因为我这两天很不舒服。昨天是不舒服到极限啊。所以呢,多多帮我做推拿。但是呢,因为我们是面对这里。我们真的没有看
they were mm. facing this direction, so they had no idea that Michael was still there. Mm. So, so Dodo was telling her that she she was in serious health concern, and she was Dodo was putting a lot of pressure on the meditation, mm. so she mm. she make make some noises as well. And but on their way out, they realized that Michael was there, so they. They were really, really sorry, but they had no idea. And uh, she also added that she would uh, respect Michael's uh, diligence. And, and also, she said that she's very close to a stroke. <laughs> yeah, yeah mi minor stroke is a serious problem. Uh -huh. Yeah. So she really needed to be take care. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, thank you very much for that. I'm sure Michael appreciates hearing that. And. Uh, I, I know there was no intended disrespect or anything, but this is good. It can remind everyone else that if you're going to do something, if, if you need to do something or say something that might disturb someone else, make sure to look around first. <laughs> so it's, a, it, it, it's good for everyone to, to hear you say that. So thank you very much. Yeah, because Sophia tried to help lots of things. She cleaned up all the bathroom almost every yeah. day. And I'd like to add uh, one more thing is, please, uh, we all can help. Mm -hmm. After we take a shower, please do wipe the floor, mm -hmm. uh, try to keep it up so mm -hmm. Sophia don't need to do too much because she's really not in a good condition. So we can mm -hmm. all help. After we take a shower, please, we all wipe the floor, clean up our hairs, and uh, please let us, everybody do that, okay? One thing to thank you. <laughs> um, the black Toyota that's at the top of the driveway, we need to move that. I, I thought it was moved. Oh, yeah, was it moved? Okay. It's moved, yeah. It's okay. already oh. taken care of. <laughs> okay, well, thank you. Practice with diligence in every scheduled sitting and walking period and overcome that first hindrance, huh? Okay. Thank you.